Okay, we're back in our series on basic Christian beliefs. And this is part two of the doctrine of the church. I think we're going to get through this this week. And then next week, we'll move on to angels, demons, and Satan. And then uh, finish things up um, with uh, the biblical doctrines of heaven and hell. And, uh, and then we'll eventually get back into our through the Bible. And we'll be at uh, First Thessalonians as the next book that we're going to cover. And uh, so if you just uh, bow your heads with me, we'll ask for uh, God to anoint the, uh, the preaching of his word, uh, as we always do. Father, in Jesus' precious name, I thank you, Lord, uh, for the people that are here today. And we know that we, we have a culture, Lord, that, uh, that doesn't love you or your son or your spirit. We have a culture that at one time was a, a culture saturated with Christianity and with, with biblical teachings. And now it seems that it's, it's not just non-biblical as a culture, but it's anti-biblical. And uh, I thank you, Lord, that there's a remnant. And we know that that remnant is not the entire American church. A large portion of the American church is selling out right now. And so I thank you, though, that even in Kitsap County, here in the Pacific Northwest, that there is a remnant. There's a remnant that loves you and that loves your word. And uh, I'm very grateful that some of that remnant is here today. Some of that remnant comes to our church. We know we're not the only ones there are many who have not bowed the knee to the state, that have not bowed the knee to this, this, this new false God. And so I thank you, Lord, that there is a remnant, and part of that remnant is here today. And they came here to hear your word. They came here to hear your truth. They're fed up with the lies. They want your truth, and so I pray, Lord, that they would not get lies today. I pray that you would anoint me with your spirit, that you would cancel the man, that you would speak through me so that I would not incorrectly interpret your word. So I pray that your word would be proclaimed today. I pray if anything that I say, I don't want to lead anyone astray, Lord. If anything I say is not biblical, not from you, I pray that you would give each and every one here the courage to study the scriptures like the Bereans and to test what they hear, to test it with your word, for your word is the final authority. No man walking this planet right now is. And so I just pray, Lord, that you would cancel the man and anoint me with your spirit so that I would proclaim your truth. I pray you'd open hearts and minds, including my own, to receive truth from your word and empower us to apply these truths. So we could be your people. We could be your church. We long for that day when your son Jesus takes his stand upon the earth to make things right. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So we're talking about the doctrine of the church. Again, the, the Greek word is ekklesia. It means a called out assembly. The universal church is all true believers. You know, right now we got True believers who love Jesus and trusting and going to churches all over this world. Um, we may never meet them here. Uh, we should probably have enough time to meet them in heaven since we'll be there forever and ever. But 
There is uh, the universal church of all true believers, and that was instituted by Jesus, Jesus himself. The church is Jesus' idea. So keep in mind, when we badmouth the American church, we're not badmouthing the institution of the church. We're badmouthing the perversion of the institution of the church that's going on in our country and many, many countries today. And so, um, so there's the universal church. But then there's the local church, the local ecclesia. And that's what we are, Trinity Bible Fellowship, a local assembly of professing believers. And uh, I'm hoping everybody here is saved. I'm hoping everybody here is trusting in Jesus for salvation. But church membership doesn't save you. Okay? You need to acknowledge you're a sinner, that you can't save yourself, and then trust in Jesus alone for salvation. It's Jesus who saves. And uh, But if you're coming to a local church, good for you, but that doesn't save you. You got to trust in Jesus from the heart. So a local church is a local assembly of professing believers. You know, many of the early churches, the church was so small, they used to meet in the homes, okay? And, um, and then as they got bigger, they needed to get bigger places to meet. And eventually the Christianity became so popular, they started building churches. And, uh, but we might be moving backwards into that direction. The day may come when we may have to meet in the homes. So keep in mind that the job of the pastors and teachers in a local church is not to do your ministry for you. The, the job of the pastors and the teachers are to train you and to equip you to use the gifts God has given you for the ministry God has given you. And, um, and it's great that we could still meet here. And, you know, the Lord knows I love everybody here. And um, I, don't, I haven't gotten to know everybody as closely as I'd like but the Lord knows I love you and I think you love me and uh, we're family. Uh, but the day's going to come. Well, we're probably not going to be able to just gather together. It's going to have to gather in secret and bring it to the homes. So it's our job to train guys and gals to be Christian leaders. And, um, but that day may come when we're going to be back in the house churches. We talked about the church in Israel that Israel's physical seed is the Jewish nation. But if you were born a Jew, that doesn't guarantee you're going to heaven. You've got to also become a spiritual Jew and be of the spiritual seed of Abraham through trusting in Jesus for salvation. So the church is distinct from Israel in that the church is made up of all true believers in Jesus, all those who are born again by, through trusting in Jesus for salvation, and that's Jew and Gentile. Okay, and, uh, and I don't believe God's through with the nation of Israel. There are some physical blessings, but only the spiritual Jews uh, who are also physical Jews will receive um, those physical blessings in the Holy Land. And we left off last week uh, when we were talking about church ordinances. And, um, but we're a family of believers and we gather, and last week we celebrated the Lord's Supper. We do that so once a month. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. Jesus gave us two ordinances. Now, our Roman Catholic friends 
okay? They believe that there's seven sacraments and that you receive saving graces, that the saving grace of Jesus on the cross comes to you through faith in him, through your obedience, through the obedience of saints, through um, the sacraments, the priest having the faucets of saving graces. You got to go through the sacraments and things of that sort. And so the Roman Catholic is supposed to agree with us that salvation is only through Jesus' death on the cross. Where they disagree with us is how that saving grace gets to us. Okay? We believe that saving grace from Jesus on the cross, dying for our sins, comes to us solely through faith in Jesus. Okay? So we don't view water baptism and the Lord's Supper as sacraments. We don't believe that there's saving graces that are in there. Okay? We believe that all we need to do to be saved is to trust in the Lord Jesus alone for salvation. We're saved by God's grace alone. It's a free gift. You can't earn it through faith alone in Jesus alone. And so when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, and then some Protestants, you know, disagree, but the but the, the, the Roman Catholic Church and the Anglican Church, they believe that the host and the wine literally become the body and blood of Christ. And that's why Catholics and Catholic churches will genuflect before the altar because they've got some consecrated host up there. Homie, don't do that. Okay? Uh, I bow before the Lord Jesus. And... Um, um, the Lutherans believe that the real body and blood of Christ, the real presence are there, but not the host remains the host, the wine remains wine. The Catholics believe that it mystically gets transformed. Physically, it has the attribute of bread and wine, but it really isn't. It's really the body and blood of Christ, okay? And um, no, in, in this church where we proclaim, I think most Protestants agree with us, though some would differ little bit uh, here and there, uh, but we believe that it's symbolic. It's a memorial. Uh, the broken bread represents Jesus' body, which was broken for us. The fruit of the vine represents his blood, which was shed for us. Now, let me say this. Just because it's a memorial doesn't mean it's not sacred. Receiving the Lord's Supper is so sacred, so holy, that God was taking home early, striking dead some of the Corinthians for receiving the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Okay? So you're not just eating bread and drinking wine. Um, you're actually going through that remembering that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. So I just want to read from 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 26. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. It was at the Last Supper. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And I know there's a lot of people said, he didn't say this symbolizes my body broken for you, or this symbolizes my blood shed for you. Um, well, yeah, it's not a simile. It's a metaphor. And a metaphor, uh, you don't have to have like the words like or as, okay? And um, so it's like Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He's not literally a vine. We're not literally branches. It's a metaphor. When Jesus held that up, that wasn't part of his body. Okay? Um, by receiving the Lord's Supper, that wasn't going to save them. Okay? Jesus still had to go to the cross the very next day after a night of trials. And, uh, and so we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Now, let me tell you this. Uh, if the world's paying attention when we receive the Lord's Supper, if they really pay attention, they're going to think we're a bunch of nuts. Even if we just think it's a memorial. Why would you partake of broken bread and the fruit of the vine to celebrate some guy who died 2,000 years ago on a hill called Calvary? And the world would think that's dumb. But we know where we would be without Calvary. You take away a hill called Calvary, a wooden cross, and an empty tomb, and we would have no hope, and this world would have no hope. So when they think we're strange, when they think we're weirdos, pray for them. Because God has intervened in the in human history and has provided salvation for us. And they mock and ridicule those who bow before the crucified, risen Lord. And, uh, and so the Lord's Supper, when we do that, that is our focus needs to be totally on what Jesus did. The, you know, the, the years are going to pass. The decades are going to pass. Okay? I remember when I first got saved, you know, I was 21 in the Marine Corps, and I went home on leave, and everybody in my family, they thought I was a nut. And they were all convinced I was just going through a phase. Okay? But like the old Larry Norman rock and roll guy used to say, here I am still preaching, brother. Here I am still preaching, sister. Here I am still preaching Jesus just the same. It's not a fad. We all got to preach Jesus until that day he returns in glory. And by the way, I don't, you know, I been, you know, I, I was, God, God made me loud, you know. And so from the day I got saved in 1981, I started preaching Jesus, you know. I mean, people didn't come to hear me preach. I just preach at them whether they liked it or not. And um, so... We're looking at what, 42 years, almost 42 years now of preaching Jesus. I don't, uh, I'm not, you know, that's not like, you know, well done thou good and faithful servant. Look at Noah, look, hundreds of years of righteousness and then naked and drunk, okay? So don't, don't ever feel safe. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's God who's at work in you. 
like Yogi Berra, catcher for the Yankees and great New York, New Jersey philosopher, used to say, it ain't over till it's over, okay? And uh, so don't walk around thinking, man, I am a faithful servant of the Lord. Hey, you ain't, you ain't dead yet, so you, there's a way still to go. But we got to praise Jesus, and one of the things that we do, not just preaching his word, not just studying the Bible, but we take part in this ordinance where we remember our king's body was broken for us. Our king shed his blood for us. He didn't need to do that. I mean, he didn't need, he didn't need us. He could have stayed in heaven and just received worship from multitudes of angels. But we needed him. And so he came. The psalm, the Christian, what is man that God would think of him? Or the son of man? Why would God even care about little specks on the planet Earth? Our God is a God of love. You know, you could think... You could think back to your past. You know, I was just, there's just a song that I'm learning and it was, it talks about uh, uh, all of my life, you have been faithful all of my life. All my life, you've been so, so good. And, um, you know, and it goes on and with every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Sing of the goodness of God. And it's not, you know, the Lord has shown me, it's not just I got saved at age 21 and God's been faithful to me ever since. When I was a little dumb guy growing up in Jersey, God was already taking care of me, and I didn't see it then. And God sheltered me, just like he sheltered you from all those ugly things. Some of us have come close to death numerous occasions. And God brought us through and protected us and brought us to the point where he came to Christ. Let me tell you, our God is faithful all the days of our lives. Even before we got saved, he was protecting us. Book of Hebrews says he, he sends angels, they're ministering spirits, to minister, to serve those who will inherit salvation. There were angels protecting us even before we got saved. And... Uh, Brothers and sisters, sing of his goodness all the days of your life because he's been faithful to you. And because of that, we break the bread. Because of that, we drink the fruit of the vine. And we can say to the world, you want to laugh? You want to laugh at Phil Fernandez? You want to laugh at John McCarthy? Go, go right ahead and laugh. And we're going to love you and we're going to pray for you. And we're going to preach Jesus, and we're going to sing his praises and proclaim his goodness until he returns in glory. And one of the ways we do that is through the Lord's Supper. Look at Matthew 28, the other church ordinance. Matthew 28 is water baptism. Now, again, we don't believe that water baptism saves. The Roman Catholic Church does. The Anglican Church does. Believe in baptismal regeneration. 
but look at Matthew 28. And uh, I'll actually start at verse uh, 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, this is before, you know, after he rose from the dead and he's appearing, one of his appearances to the apostles. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So be it. And, uh, and so we are to go and make disciples of all the nations, make followers of Christ. It's not, our end goal is not to lead people to Christ. That's one of the earlier goals. Yes, we want to lead people to Christ, but we want to help them bring them about to maturity. Okay? We want them to grow in the Lord. We want them to go to a good, solid Bible-believing church, whether it meets in a building or it meets in a home or it meets on a basketball gym. Okay? We want to help people become mature followers of Christ. And But when a person trusts in Jesus for salvation and not before that, we don't baptize infants. If somebody's old enough to make a profession of faith in Christ as their Savior, then we baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you're a believer and you're not baptized, let me know. We'll, we, we'll come in on a Sunday evening and baptize you right over there, okay? And um, uh, But we got to get serious about this. There's, there's so many Christians, they trust in Jesus for salvation, and then they say, well, well, water baptism is not necessary for salvation. Well, that's correct. Therefore, I don't have to do it. Wait a minute, Jesus commanded you to be baptized. Just because it's not salvific, just because it baptism, water baptism doesn't save, doesn't mean it's optional. Okay? You call Jesus Lord, and you think his commands are just optional? Makes you wonder, are you even really a believer? So if you're a believer and you haven't been baptized, let us know. Okay? Let us know. And uh it doesn't say, but it's important. I like the way the Baptists deal with this. They, they scream louder than anybody else that water baptism does not save. Yet, they know it's so important, they call themselves what? The Baptists. Okay? And that's the way we ought to be. And um, believe me, I'm just throwing out round numbers here, but Let's say I led or was part of a group of people who led a 1,000 people to Christ, okay? Out of those 1,000 people, we led them in the sinner's prayer, and they trusted in Jesus alone for salvation and said they believed that Jesus died on the cross for their sins, okay? Uh, Ten years from then, uh, you'll be lucky if 100 of them are still walking with the Lord, Okay? Now, they take the next step. They get water baptized and make that public confession of faith in Christ. Let's say I baptized about 200, okay? Um, I'd be surprised if less than 150 or 160 were no longer walking with the Lord. Uh, basically, what I'm getting at, I'm not sure even how I worded it, but probably 75, 80% of the people I baptized are still walking strong with the Lord people that have just given the gospel message and then they just kind of went their own way. It's a, it's a much smaller percentage. So water baptism is, is important. When you, when you, you know, 
Again, when did Jesus institute the church? It was at Caesarea Philippi. It was at the mouth of the cave of this jagged rock at the, at the base of Mount Hermon. It was the gates of Hades, according to the pagans who worshiped the false god Pan. And we get our imagery of Satan from the false god Pan. Jesus went to Satan's headquarters, basically, and declared war on the gates of Hades, on the gates of death, on the kingdom of Satan. He declared war on it. So you got to understand, okay, when we get water baptized, we're declaring war on the world that is in opposition to God. doesn't mean we hate them, but it means we no longer belong to them. We belong to the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And if you, don't, if you think you don't have room for us in your country or on planet Earth, and you want to stamp us out, well, then you go and do what you think you got to do. But we're going to do what we got to do. We're going to preach Jesus until our king comes in glory. And so we get water baptized. Again, the world would look and say, boy, what a bunch of idiots. We're saying, no, we want to identify with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So when I go under the water, that's his death and burial. And when I come out, that's the resurrection. We want to live the resurrection life, okay? We are trusting in Jesus for salvation. And that water baptism is symbolic of the spirit baptism, the Holy Spirit regenerating us, making us born again, and giving us supernatural gifts that God has called us to use uh, in his service. And, um, and so... Um, you know, when I took the oath to become a United States Marine, my decision had been made already, and I had signed the papers, but I still had to go through taking the oath, okay? I was saying that, hey, I was going to defend the Constitution. I didn't know what it was. You know, I didn't have, I, Catholic school, they made me read it, but I didn't really pay attention. But, um, but water baptism is like that. You are saying, you are telling the world, not just the church, you're telling the world. I belong to Jesus. I'm Jesus' people. Okay? And um, let me tell you, um, you know, you get a guy who's jumping up and down, screaming, and um, just real fanatical about his favorite football team, and that's a, that's a normal guy, okay? But you get somebody who's just, just barely excited enough about Jesus to come to church on Sunday, and we're supposed to be nuts, okay? This world is messed up. This world is, we're, we're just diverting our attention. We're playing games and ignoring what really matters, and that's the Lord Jesus and the salvation that he provides. So a true church, a true local church, will celebrate uh, the ordinances, the church ordinances. Now, the church offices, uh, uh, God wants his church, the local church, to be organized. 
I think sometimes we can get too organized, you know, and then uh, there's like church splits over the color of the carpet, something like that. Uh, other churches are, aren't organized enough. I'm kind of a disorganized guy, so I need I need help in in our organizational stuff. But the Bible only teaches two church ordinances, elders and deacons, okay? And Paul mentions that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 to 13, and we're not going to have time to read that, but he mentions the qualifications of both elders and deacons. And uh, But he also mentions it in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 to 9, he mentions the... Um, Elders there. The reason why I want us to look at Titus chapter 1, verses 5 to 9, is because it uses the word bishop or overseer interchangeably with the word elder. So I don't think that we should have, I don't think Kitsap County should have a bishop in charge of all the elders and the churches in Kitsap County. Okay? Um, the overseer means the overseer of a local church. I think just as each, I think the Bible teaches just as each individual Christian is accountable directly to God, okay, you're not going to get to heaven on mommy or daddy's faith. We're accountable directly to God. So too, each individual church is accountable directly to God. So we Protestants don't have a pope somewhere and a college of cardinals that can distort a passage of scripture and then we got to go with it because they're in charge. No, God is going to judge each believer as an individual and God will also judge each church as an individual body of believers. Now, what do you do if you're pastor? Well, let's say I start preaching heresy. Well, you confront me. If I don't recant, you shake the dust off your sandals and you go find a, you go find a church that does. And if you can't find any churches in Kitsap County, they're still preaching the word. You start your own church in the home, okay? Um, but, um, but each church is accountable directly to the Lord. And so that's why we're non-denominational. The Baptists share our view. The Assemblies of God, the Foursquare. There's a lot of churches where they're not taking, they're not taking orders from some hierarchy, okay? So... Um, uh, but look at uh, Titus chapter 1, verses 5 to 9. So we don't believe that there's, the, you know, the, the elders provide the leadership for the church, and some elders also teach, not all of them. You know, Paul says that um, elders are worthy of double honor, especially those who dedicate their lives to the word of God, okay, and teaching. Uh, so not all elders teach, but they're the leaders. And then the deacons are the servants within the church. Now, granted, the elders should be servant leaders, uh, but the deacons would, would, would do the work of, of service. And, uh, um, and so you have elders and, and deacons. But Paul talks about the elders here in Titus 1, 5 to 9. He tells Titus, for this reason, I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, so Joseph Smith and Muhammad are disqualified there. 
If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused uh, of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop, now it's the word overseer, must be blameless. So it's elders are the bishops, okay? For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine, sound teaching, both to exhort, to encourage his flock, both to exhort and convict those who contradict. So the pastor's not just supposed to be able to teach you and encourage you in God's truth, but the pastor is also supposed to refute those who teach falsehoods, okay? And um, we got a culture that does this. Oh, no, you're not supposed. It's just crazy. We got a culture that says you're not supposed to judge anybody, but they spend all their time judging us. The most, the people who scream tolerance the loudest are the most intolerant people that uh, the world has ever known. You know, and, uh, and, you know, they scream at us. You're not supposed to, because you say, well, homosexuality is a sin. No, you're not supposed to judge, blah, blah, blah. And then we should just tell them, well, they just stop judging me. Just leave me alone. Say you're not supposed to judge, and all you do is judge everybody who stands up for God's truth. Uh, but the local church should be made up, should have be led by elders and served by deacons. We, we, you know, we haven't officially chosen deacons in a long time because we just, it's almost like everybody just chips in and helps so much. And um, um, but the local church, this is, this is not a um, you know, pope, cardinals, bishops, monsignors, priests, you know, elders, deacons. No, it's just, just elders and deacons. By the way, it's the same pattern that the synagogue. Synagogue had the same thing at that time. And Paul was saying, look, if something's not broke, don't fix it. And, um, and now it's our former church government. We're not monarchical. Monarchial, one guy rules the entire church. That that that's like uh, the Roman Catholicism with the Pope. Okay, we're not Episcopal, where we have like many bishops. We're part we're part of some global church organization, and we've got many bishops. And the bishop of the Pacific Northwest can, tells us what to believe, what to do. Um, we're not even Presbyterian because Presbyterian, the elders rule. But for them, it's kind of like the elders, you know, have these meetings and then they make the decision for all those churches that they're representing. Um, we believe more in the congregational form of church government. Let me say this. I was mistaken on this for decades. I thought the congregational view of church government automatically meant that the congregation makes every major position. Everything's taken to a vote. And the senior pastor and the elders are just just one vote among many. Um, it turns out that the big emphasis of the congregational form of church government just means the local church congregation is autonomous and is directly accountable to God. Now, what some uh, churches will do in the congregational form of church government, they'll have like elders, okay, uh, and, and, and an elder board. Some will have... 
besides the elders, have a leadership board, another leadership board on the side. Um, but let me, I, as far as I can see from the scriptures, you know, leaders got to lead. Okay. Now let me say this. Um, okay. Let's say we got to make a church decision whether we're still going to be preaching the doctrine of the Trinity. Okay. Then my response, as will be the response of our elders, if this church refuses to have the doctrine of the Trinity preached, we're gone. We'll resign. We'll go somewhere else. I mean, if, the, if there's enough people aside with us, yeah, we'll have a church split and the heretics can leave. Okay? Um, but like the move here. Okay? I think only idiot leaders would be control freaks who don't say, well, the building in which we meet, isn't that something that we need to get some feedback from our people? And, um, and so, uh, and then there's times when the four of us elders and, and Chris, you no know, five, we get together for a meeting and we realize, man, we, I don't know, we need some leadership advice here. And then we'll turn to key individuals in the church bounce things off. I don't know how many times we thought there was a good idea which would take a big investment of money and we just thought, well, let's, let's just see what Cease thinks about that. And um, Cease isn't here today, right? So I can brag on her, but uh, but uh, and she said, well, did you think of this, Pastor? And it's just like, ouch, let me go back and tell the guys, bad decision. And so Cease saved us a lot of money over the years and uh, and um, but we look we look for that for people. There's there's some people in here that have been saved, you know, as long as I've been alive, and they're walking strong with Jesus, and they have wisdom that we'd like to tap into. And um, but whatever the case, the uh, officers of elders and deacons. So we're congregational form a church government. Now I want us to look at Acts chapter two because I, I want us to not only you know we are a local church. But the question is, are we a healthy local church? Well, the early church had just gotten baptized with the Holy Spirit on the Feast of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. So it seems to me that their characteristics would be the characteristics of a healthy church. So Acts chapter 2, look at verses 40 uh, to 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 40 to 47, the characteristics of a healthy church. And Peter preaches this message and 3,000 people are going to get saved and all in verse 40. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So if we're a Bible-believing church, we ought to be sharing the gospel message with people. You know, sometimes you do it in a real intentional way. Okay. Like, like we've, you know, Michael in our church, he wants to start leading us and getting us going door to door in the community, inviting people. Um, we, we've got um, uh, Pastor Will Willis and Don Vitito who have done street ministry, okay? So sometimes our evangelism can be uh, intentional, but our, our lives ought to be a proclamation of the gospel on the job site, with coworkers, with customers. When we go to the store, Fred Myers or Walmart or Costco, sharing our faith with others. And you can start it. I just, before COVID, I used to just say, God bless you to people. 
And sometimes that would open up some conversations. And then when I see the person the third or fourth time of saying, God bless you, maybe that would open doors. Then I started saying, God, after COVID, God bless, God bless you and be safe. And I was surprised how many, how even more receptive people are. By the way, the idea that if, if you say, God bless you to 100 people, uh, 50 of them will get mad at you. I haven't found that. In fact, I don't even think one out of 100 get mad. In fact, I, don't, I can't remember anybody since I got saved in 1981. Now, before I was a believer, I used to hurt people and manipulate people and use people. And so when I got saved, at least, the least I thought I could do was to wish God's blessings upon people that they would come to the salvation of the Lord. And um, so I've been doing this for over over 40 years. I cannot, I don't think anybody got upset with me for saying God bless you. I they didn't verbalize anything. There's some people who just look at me and say, yeah, and you have a good day. But even there, that's maybe 10%. And, um, and then maybe another 20% that smile and say God bless you back. Or just smile and just say, yeah, have a nice day. And then but more than half say God bless you back to me. It gives you an open door. And, um, but, um, but we've got to share the faith. If we're going to have the characteristics of a New Testament church, evangelism is essential. We need to share the gospel message with people. By the way, God bless you is not the gospel. God bless you and be safe is not the gospel. Okay? Providing evidence for God's existence is not the gospel. Okay? Now, why do we do those things, though? Because we live in a culture that is so far away from the gospel that we got to take baby steps. In the 1930s in America, people would rejoice if you led somebody to Christ. In 2023, if you got somebody to just open to the gospel, it's time to rejoice. We have so dehumanized ourselves, it's hard for people to see their need for Jesus. But we've got to be evangelistic. Verse 41, then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added uh, to them. And so we need to be evangelistic, share the gospel, and we need to baptize converts. And by the way, they didn't have one-year training for everybody who profess faith in Christ, they baptize them on the spot, okay? Um, and you might say, well, you might baptize some false believers. Yeah, well, I'd be in good company. Um, Peter and John, um, or actually um, Philip baptized uh, Simon the sorcerer. So, um, so we need to share the gospel, baptize converts in the name of the triune God, as Jesus said. Verse 42, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the apostles' teachings, and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers, okay? And so, you know, if you're going to a church and they're not teaching the apostles' teachings, by the way, where are the apostles' teachings? It's the New Testament. But guess what they say in the New Testament? They say that the Old Testament is God's word too. So if you go into a church and they're not preaching the whole Bible, as the word of God, you need to find another church, okay? 
We got to gather around the apostles' teachings and fellowship with one another. Fellowship, it comes from the, you know, the word koinonia, like koine Greek means common Greek. So fellowship means you hang out with and share your life with people that you have something in common with. Okay? And uh, we Seahawk fans do that when they go to Seahawk games or watch Seahawk games until they, they share their love for the Seahawks in common. But this is a lot more important. We're supposed to share our love that we have, our love for Jesus that we have in common with one another. We're supposed to be family. Okay? And um, I'm sure I probably get on a few of your, you guys, your nerves now and then and stuff. But we're family. And maybe some of you get on my nerves every once in a while. But we're family. Okay? And hopefully we're not a dysfunctional family. But, uh, but we fellowship. And our fellowship in the Lord ought to be stronger than any other fellowship that we could possibly have. And then, uh, and then they broke bread. Uh, that could talk about sharing food or the Lord's Supper. Probably deals with both. That's why we have potlucks. Believe me, our potlucks are not just a time to hang out, period. It's also meeting a spiritual need, breaking bread with other people. You know, we, we live in a culture that has lost lost that sense of the communion and fellowship of shared meals. Families don't even share meals anymore in America. And, um, you know, I mean, uh, it's a long story, but I, mean, I, I was with the sub-base police, and I was asking them, take me out of the patrol. I'm tired of writing tickets. Just give me the slow gates and I'll, you know, do study all the time, and you pay me for doing that. And uh, it was down on Delta Pier. And, um, but at roll call, they told us, don't accept gratuities. You guys were police. We can't accept gratuities. How are you going to write a guy a ticket if you accept gratuities? So one of the officers raised hands and said, what do you consider a gratuity? And, he's, and our sergeant said, well, like Dunkin' Donut guy. Don't accept donuts from him. And the Dunkin' Donut guy was this like six foot three, 220-pound Muslim gentleman who was so soft-spoken, so kind. And so I get out on my shift, and guess who's the first guy who comes through my gate? The Dunkin' Donut guys. And he was always giving me a donut, and I'm a, I'm a nice guy. I don't want to make a guy feel bad. So I accepted quite a few donuts over the years. But now the word was out, no more donuts. And he, he actually handed me a, a box of a dozen donuts. And I said, oh, they told us we're not allowed to take it. And he took it back, and he almost cried. And he put his head down. And here I was going through Bible college, finding out that the Middle Eastern culture, that if you break bread with somebody and share food with them, they'll be faithful to you. Be a faithful friend for the rest of your life. And I realized to do my job, which I was required to do, I had to really deal with this guy in a way that was going to hurt him. And for months, this guy would come through my gate and just hold out his badge and not look at me. He was even teary-eyed most of the time. And so I used to check his badge, and I used to pat him on the shoulder. So you have a good day, my friend. It took a few months before he started smiling back. Nowadays, we don't want to eat. Everybody wants to do this. 
you want to play computer games or watch TV or listen to radio, whatever, divert our attention with anything, football games, whatever it may be. We, we don't enjoy each other's company. We don't break bread together. Let me tell you, we are the church. We are the family of God. We need to learn to love each other. And one of the ways we can bring that about is at these potlucks where we get to break bread together, okay? And sometimes, and I'm telling you, you know, some people in this church make more money than other people in this church, okay? So just keep in mind, some of the people at those potlucks, that's the best meal. If we had a potluck once every two months, that might be the best meal they have for two months. I remember Stella. I always Stella, how's she doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. She never told us. She was living on hot dogs and a small Social Security check. Um, if we love each other, we're going to break bread together. The Lord's Supper, and we're going to fellowship. And um, potlucks, I think, go a long way to that. Also, prayer. Prayer. You show me a church that doesn't pray, it's not a church. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's a little Bible college. We got to be people of prayer. Get on the prayer chain. We got family here. We need to know who's hurting and who's not. Uh, Okay, verse 43. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. There ought to be a fear of God in a church. You know, Matthew 18 tells us, how to do church discipline. If someone's sinning against you, you bring it to the you bring it to the person. You talk to them. If they won't repent, then you get two witnesses and you go and talk to them. If they still won't repent, then you take it to the church or the church leadership. And we've had we've had several people. We've had to not ask them, but tell them to leave our church. Now we, we've been around since eighty eight. There's only a small handful of people, but it's like, you know, you can't leave, just decide you're going to leave your wife for another lady. You can't treat people like this or that. You know, so you know, we are a family, we are a fellowship, but never ever forget we represent the lamb who was slain. We represent the lion of the tribe of Judah. You know, if people are messing around and doing drugs, well, yeah, if they want fellowship, go to a local bar, you know? Guy's not going to kick you out if you're immoral as long as you keep buying more alcohol. But this is God's army. This is God's family. We represent Jesus. How can, you know, I, I tell you, no, I, I'm telling you, there are some churches that have a reputation like this. I don't, do not want Trinity Bible Fellowship to be known as the church where if you got a real lot of sin and you want to get away with it and still call yourself a Christian, go to Trinity Bible Fellowship. And I heard once of a lady who wanted to divorce her husband for less than biblical reasons, and her church said, no, you can't be doing this. She went to another church. No, can't be doing this. Went to another church. Just kept going until eventually found a church and they were okay with it. Okay. Um, no, no. And uh, 
We need a healthy fear of God. Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay? We see God, especially when God performs miracles. Uh, You know, our God is a good God, but our God is also holy. He is just. He's all-powerful. We need a healthy fear of the Lord. Verse 44, now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Um, So uh, there, there was sharing that was going on. God's power was at work in their midst. I hope, I hope God's power is at midst in our church. And that might or might not mean miracles. But what God's power always means is the lost get saved and the saved grow. God's power means is that lives are changed. Okay? And if you were a miserable, nasty person and you've been coming to Trinity Bible Fellowship for 20 years and you're still a miserable, nasty person, something's wrong with that picture. People ought to see the power of God in our lives. I'm ashamed of who I used to be. John's ashamed of who he used to be. Willis, okay? Um, But if you look at that and then you look at this, there's no way you can get from that to this. And believe me, we haven't arrived. We've got a long way to go. There's no way you can have that kind of transportation without the power of God. People need to see that. You know, I hope when we bump into people at Costco or Walmart or Fred Myers, and they find out we go to Trinity Bible Fellowship, I hope the people come away saying, oh, how those people, oh, how those TBF people love Jesus. What better thing, what better way to be known than that? But God's power, sharing. Some people say, oh, this is socialism. Or communism. No, it's not the government stealing what everybody else has and redistribution the wealth as it sees fit, which always means the communist leaders are the rich guys, okay, and everybody else is poor. It, what this would be is like compassionate capitalism, where you're allowed to own what you've worked for. That's why God's word says, thou shalt not steal. Stealing would be impossible if nobody owned property. Okay, and um, but you share what you have with others. Okay, um, I hope and pray nobody that regularly attends Trinity Bible Fellowship. Wouldn't it be a shame if somebody who was attending Trinity Bible Fellowship starved to death when we had the food to feed them? Okay, by the way, as I'm going over this list. Characteristics of a healthy church. I think we've got a lot of these, but I think we could do better on a lot of them as well. But we need to take care of one another. We're family. But most of us would take care of our physical family. We've got to take care of our spiritual family as well. And so sharing. And, um, and then, uh, So verse 46 and 47, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. 
And so they spent their time praising God. A church has to praise God. We have to worship God. And uh, I pray that we are, we are growing. Um, our numbers don't always indicate that. We got this American church thing where people go to church hop. No, you might have to hop a little, but once you find that church that's preaching the meat of the word and it's trying to obey the word, then stay there and try to help that church be the church that God's called it to be. Um, but, um, you know, and the thing is, too, is I pray, Lord, help us grow. Send the people, Lord, help us grow. Help us to go out and try to bring people in. But I also pray, Lord, don't give us more people than we're capable of discipling. This church is not about just filling the seats. This church is not about just getting more money, okay? We're about serving God, and God has called us to disciple others. And so I'm going to close with that, with Matthew 28, 19, and 20. We read it earlier. But never forget why we exist. You know, so many organizations go down because they forget what their purpose originally was, okay? And we're not an organization. We're a body. We're a body of believers. But Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Lord Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We can say, Jesus, that's too much. We can't do it. He says, I know. It's too much for you, but I'm with you. With Jesus, we can do all things. We need to go. We need to make disciples. You know, uh, Jesus said, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. He didn't say, come follow me, I'll make you fish. Okay? And so when you disciple others, you're a fisher of men discipling other people to be fishers of men. Okay? And, um, uh, but we go, we make disciples, we baptize, and we teach. That's what we're about. And I'm telling you, Jesus, in John chapter 6, he had 5,012 people following him. That's a pretty big assembly. 5,012 people. I'm sure Peter was walking around like, I'm the man. I'm like, this guy's right-hand man. I'm the oldest of his apostles, the key leaders. And now we got a church of 5,012. And then guess what? Jesus realized they were only following him because he multiplied the bread and the fish and put food in their belly. You know what John chapter 6 teaches us? Jesus would rather have a church of 12 in which 11 are following him for the right reasons than a church of 5,012 where 5,001 are following him for the wrong reasons. Of course, the betrayer, Judas. And um, so it's not, about, it's not about numbers. It's not about money. It's about the Lord Jesus saving souls, transforming lives. And Jesus instituted the church to do that. And most of that activity is going to occur the local church, 
If you're sitting there thinking, oh, Pastor Phil, that's way too important. We're just regular people. But join the club. All you got are regular people and an irregular God. Okay? Be like King David. King David didn't say, Goliath's bigger than me. I'm not going to fight him. Okay? Don't look at the challenge or the problem. The size of your problem. Look at the size of your God. And we serve. Church, we serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We serve the lamb who was slain. We serve the lion of the tribe of Judah. We serve the Jewish Messiah, the Savior of the world, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. And I don't care who you stack against us. It could be the United States government. It could be the United Nations. It could be a false, end-time false church. You can stack all that against us. And King Jesus just tells us in his word, greater is he who is in you. Than he was in the world. All I'm saying is let the church be the church. You might feel like you're just a mellow person. You're not too tough. You're a warrior for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. When this service ends, it's going to be time for us to get out and do battle with the forces of evil, Satan and his demons as we try to lead lost souls to Christ and baptize them and disciple them. To King Jesus be the glory in his church. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, uh, we're sinners and we deserve hell. But you chose to provide salvation for us because you loved us. Your son was sacrificed in our place and took our punishment for us. And you raised him from the dead to conquer death for us so that if we trust in him, under the divine persuasion of the Holy Spirit, if we trust in Jesus for salvation, we receive eternal life. And we're so unworthy of that, Lord. So unworthy of salvation. But then you also call us to be your bride. To be your church. To be the body of Christ on earth. And Lord, we are not up to the task. And because of that, Jesus tells us that he is with us even to the end of the age. Jesus tells us that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. Everybody else might forsake us, but Jesus never will. Jesus told us he wouldn't leave us orphans. He'd come back for us, and in the meantime, he would send the Holy Spirit. And so as we go through life, may we remember, it's not us. It's our Savior. It's not about us. It's about our king. 
And our king is holy. He is good. He is just. He loves us. And he will come back for us. And he will come back and take his stand upon the earth to make things right. Until that day, to the power of the Holy Spirit and for your glory, may we be all that you called us to be. As through the power of the Holy Spirit, we build your church and be all that you called us to be until you return. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. All right, God bless you, everybody. And don't, don't forget the Bible studies throughout the week. God bless you all.